It's poverty. It's crime. Unemployment. Corruption. Accountability. The energy crisis. Inflation. We are worried. That South Africa has myriad problems on all fronts is a given. But the time has come for us to look for real solutions. I'm Jeremy Maggs, and this MoneyWeb podcast will discuss those solutions on how South Africans can solve problems by having tough conversations and drawing on the insights of South Africa's top business leaders. Welcome to Fix SA. Here are two quotes attributed to our next guest. This one is very recent. The politicization of top governance in South African universities is an entree to corruption. And if left unchecked, the growing swamp will destroy higher education, snuff out the lamp of learning for generations to come. And in describing himself, I think he might just have the answer to this podcast's perennial premise or question about fixing South Africa. He says, I surround myself with people who are smarter than me and who challenge me. Without the sense of distributed leadership, I simply cannot achieve all the things I want to. Welcome to Fix SA. My name is Jeremy Maggs. Our guests have and in coming weeks will be asked a couple of simple questions. How can we make things better? How do we improve matters? How in the shortest space of time can we become a competitive and successful nation? Professor Jonathan Janssen is Distinguished Professor of Education at the University of Stellenbosch. He's currently President of the South African Academy of Science and a Knight Hennessy Fellow at Stanford University. Professor, let's wade straight into it. What do you see as the biggest single obstacle to fixing the problems in our country? It's quite simple, actually, and that is leadership. You can fix almost anything in any organization, any company, any university, any country, if you have a very strong sense of ethical leadership, of responsible leadership, of competent leadership, of compassionate In other words, the kinds of things that make leaders good in any context, that is where you start. Having said that, I've long given up on a government-centric view of the world. That is to presume that the only leadership that can make a difference is centered in government. I don't believe that. I believe in the leadership of uh, an MTS Suleiman in the NGO world, the leadership of great people in the world of education, the leadership of those who steer our economy. So provided you have this fairly broad sense of leadership, you're on the right track. But people respond, especially in our country, in South Africa, people respond regardless of race or gender or social class to the kind of leadership that is exemplary, that is honest, that is invested in the welfare of people as in themselves. Mm. And that, for me, is a universal lesson about change, uh, leadership, leadership, leadership. You talk about compassionate leadership, ethical leadership, competent leadership. Of those, which is the most important, or is it a hybrid of all three? It's very hard to single them out because you can have a competent leader who actually doesn't really care about the bottom line, which for me is the people that we are privileged to serve. On the other hand, you can have highly ethical leadership, but without the stamina, the determination, and the skill set to actually change the situation. So if you take ESCOM, for example, I honestly do believe you need competent leadership uh, that is people with mm. skills in engineering and accounting in management of projects and all of that. But it means very little unless you also understand what it means for small business, for people trying to run a spaza shop, 
if you don't have electricity. That's where the heart meets the head meets the hand. When all of those things are in sync, then I think you have the kind of leadership that draws out the respect of people. Why do you think we have a leadership deficiency in this country? What's happened? Because we have lots of quality people, don't we? We do. And I think, unfortunately, we have over-politicized almost every function, both within the state, but also within civil society. So a simple thing, like fixing a pit latrine toilet, do you know in some provinces how politicized that has become? So instead of just getting the engineers in, getting the water people in, getting people who can just fix the toilet, you now have people in a community, so-called leadership, that says, no, we won't allow this toilet to be fixed for our children unless you give us a slice of the the tender pie. Now, when you're in a country where almost everything from the election of an SRC at a university to the appointment of a CEO at a bank carries so much political interference and juggling, then it's very hard to remember that the original goal was simply to lead the company, lead the university, lead the people. And I think that's where we went wrong. Now, politics is part of everything. That's what we teach our students in Political Science 101. But I'm talking about over-politicization, that even something as simple as distributing a grant to a person in need has to be the subject of intense competition for that resource. Then, of course, you lose your country very quickly. So, Professor, we know what type of leadership we need. We know why we have a deficiency. So how do we fix it? My approach has been to look at places where there is already emergent leadership and to invest in that kind of leadership. So, for example, you know, of course, we have a massive crisis in leading uh, literacy in our country. We saw that with the so-called poll study that showed 81% of our grade four kids cannot read for understanding. That is massive because the implications downstream for the economy, let alone for society, is huge, right? So now I don't wait for government to create a dedicated reading budget, which we've pleaded for for years. I saw in Masipumilele, a big township here, near Fishukan, Cape Town, probably one of the most effective reading programs using traditional methods. A week before that, I was in Kailicha looking at a program called Click Learning that has transformed in a very poor area reading outcomes that are competitive with anywhere else in the world. This is among poor children. So you begin to look at those initiatives. You give it funding. You give it visibility. You take the leaders of those projects. You look at where there is already action towards change, whether it's in health or housing or education, and you begin to invest in those kinds of projects. That, I think, slowly but surely, is a way of building and rebuilding our economy, our education system, our society, but not by fixating our effort on the comings and goings of Mm. politics. I would suggest to you, Professor Janssen, that you can teach leadership, you can teach methodology, you can teach protocols. But in South Africa and the battered state that we find ourselves in right now, surely also one's got to be able to teach self-confidence. You've got to take teach self-assurance. You've got to try and lessen the frustration and the anger that so many South Africans feel before you can even start addressing the issue of leadership. That's a difficult one to do, isn't it? It is. I never believe that leadership is simply a performance. You know, I do believe that you, you lead and in the process of leading, 
you attract the support and the attention of people. Let's not forget one of our most prominent leaders, you know, sat in prison for 27 years and inspired the world without doing much except being this moral beacon for all of us. But he comes out and many of us, even those who disagreed with him, followed in the leadership of Nelson Mandela because it was so exemplary, because it was so people-oriented, and because, you know, he was fully invested, not in feeding his own face, but ensuring that every South African lived a decent life. Now, imagine you do that across sectors, right? Imagine that the hospital manager makes sure that nobody who, who comes in with a critical illness has to sit for 12 hours waiting for a um, hospital bed. Those are things that can be managed. Those are not things that need to be politicized. And so if we do that in every sector of the society, looking again at leadership in practice, I think people have a wonderful way of responding to what they see, to what they hear, and importantly, to what they feel when they see a leader acting in the interest of others. Which is also predicated then on the argument, Professor, that in order to lead successfully, you've got to have people who are willing to be led, which comes back, I imagine, to the whole notion of this overt political polarization that exists in the country and our inability to work together towards common solutions. Yes, that is correct. The credibility of leadership is everything. But I've worked in many difficult situations, as you know, Jeremy, including in universities, mm. that, you know, in which, which were not created for people like me and all of that. So I've often found myself in difficult spaces. And the one thing I know for sure, people will follow you if you are seen as being credible, as independent, as invested in them and not yourself. So it's not difficult to have followers if that leadership is very visible and, as I said, disinterested in their own uh, welfare and heavily involved in the welfare of others. People look for leadership, whether it's in a church or a mosque, whether it is in a school or a university, whether it is in a home or in in a hospital. People look for leadership. And if we just had half of the leadership that this country requires, uh, then I think we'd have a very different country. But here's something important. Mm. I've never believed in the notion of the single heroic, often male leader as the answer to anything. Mm. If you're a leader, you're only as good as your team. If you stand out and alone, you won't go very far because of the complexity of organizations, the complexity of a whole country. And so part of what we want to do is to build leadership teams that enable a particular sector of society to go forward. And as I said, and you quoted it earlier, I realized even as a young leader that I was only as good as my second tier as the people who advised me, who criticized me, who led with me, and whom I knew had no other interest than making sure that the project, whether that was a university being changed or whatever, was more important than our own individual ambitions. So leadership as a team, absolutely critical. Credible leadership gets followership, and that is a fact. And that cascading theory that you talk about in terms of the second tier is also predicated on trust. And in this country right now, there is a lack of that. That is correct. Uh, and again, in almost every aspect of a society, you, see, you know, people, the backstabbing. And, but that only happens because people are no longer looking out 
for for others, they're looking out for themselves. And so everybody worries about the next person. Does she or you want my job? Does she or you want to beat me in the next election? Does she or you? Now, when you're in that kind of swirl, then it is very hard to remember that the original goal was to serve the people, right? So absolutely, uh, there has to almost be an understanding that develops within a leadership team that we are here, we plural, are here for others. We are not here for ourselves and so on and so forth. Now, competition is a good thing. It's always great to have succession plans. It's wonderful to see people aspiring to be better and so on and so forth. But if you do that at the expense of whatever the bigger project is in whatever sector of society, everybody suffers. Professor, have you been engulfed by cynicism or do you still have a degree of optimism? Do you think there is still a willing majority of South Africans who have a degree of positivity who want to fix things? Or as some have suggested, we are edging closer to this notion of a failed state. Yeah, you know, the the notion of a failed state in in, in political science, is a very specific terminology that I often feel we lose to use too loosely. Now, I don't think we, we're certainly a struggling state. <laughs> we're certainly a state that is fractured in many, many different ways, but I don't think we're a failed state. We still have one of the most reliable banking systems in the world. We still have some of the top-tier universities in the world. We still have outstanding schools that can compete with others anywhere on the planet. We still have, as you saw during COVID, some of the best medical scientists, uh, vaccinologists, immunologists in the world. So no, no, I think I think there's a lot going for us, you know. But if you only read the headlines, of course you get depressed. But I also read the low lines. And when I work in the nine provinces, as I just mentioned to you, working in, in Kailicha and uh, Masagumalena the past year, I am astounded by a simple fact that gives me hope, and that is that there are many more good people in this country than there are rotten people. That you can put in the bank, and that gives me incredible hope. Of course, I'm disappointed in the crisis in the energy sector. Of course, I'm dismayed by state capture. Of course, I can't believe that we have messed up the public rail system. Those are all things that are deeply scary, you know. But again, if you look at the bigger picture, you will realize there's a whole lot more people working 18 hours a day to make this country right than there are people trying to tear down. That's a good piece of advice about not just reading the headlines, but uh, reading the low lines as well. Professor Janssen, given that you are talking ostensibly to a business news platform, part of solving any problem a business leader will say is charting progress. In other words, how you measure incrementally success that you have achieved. So in terms of your original argument about the lack of leadership and leadership is the single biggest problem to fix in this country, if we're going to start recalibrating our approach towards leadership, how then do we chart the progress and measure whether we have made any difference or not? Look, let's start at the bottom. The one thing I say to business people is this. So both the individual rates of return to educate to investment in education and the social rates of return to investment in education south africa uh, features very prominently at the top of that scale in other words there is a huge payback to investment in education for both individuals and society what does that mean that in order to get leadership at the top you need to broaden the base of potential leadership at the bottom And that only happens through education and training. And so the cupboard is bare if 
in almost every sector, when you look at leadership only within the existing top tier of leaders and potential leaders. But we've got to think Asian here. You've got to think 20, 30, 40, 50 years down the line and say, who's going to lead this country? And how do we invest in them? And that is why when 81% of your kids can't read in grade four, mm-hmm. that is a leadership problem apart from a literacy problem because you are not building a base of competent leaders, just being able to read a spreadsheet or an Excel spreadsheet. Can you imagine anybody going into business without those kinds of basic skills? So my argument has always been think long-term, invest in the bottom, understand that there's huge payback to society and to families, and and and, and press that point home regardless of this very misleading uh, celebration of the metric results. That's too late to fix anything for the next 30 or 40 years. You've got to do it from a strong base. So what immediate and active role then does the broader business community need to play in fixing South Africa? We all know that it's very good at talking up a storm, but uh, doesn't necessarily act on the criticism that it levels. I think what business can do, and I've seen this work very well in some sectors, for example, banking, is to sort of take the smartest and the most talented young people entering a particular sector and say, okay, if you're in the financial sector, for example, uh, we're going to put you under the leadership, the mentorship, the tutorship of a Christopher Visser or Jan van Sale or Ray. And you do that for health, you do that for education, you do that for every part of society. And you begin to sort of say, we're not going to allow you to stumble into leadership. We are going to allow you to work with and under very strong mentorship, strong coaching, strong leadership, so that you can become, in the short term, the next tier of leadership. I find there's too little of that kind of investment. Leaders are so invested in themselves in the bottom line and what happens tomorrow morning on the JSE. All of those are important, no doubt. But if you built in an understanding amongst our top leaders in every field that they need to double up and take care of, the top leaders. I'm, for example, in my particular field, I lead, as you might know, a program called the Future Professors Program. This year, uh, over the past three years, we have 90 of these smartest young people, uh, academics at senior lecturer level, who have enormous CVs who are showing signs of progress, and we teach them to become the next professor leaders in my field. There must be parallel mm-hmm. programs like that in business and in other fields, and that's the way in the short term anyway that we will be able to build a stock of leadership that can serve us well into the future. And I think that segues very nicely into the final question, which is the one question I put to every single guest on this podcast series. So when you're talking to young people in 20 years' time, your grandchildren, what will you tell them, Professor Janssen, about the early 2020s and what their role is in continuing to build South Africa, hopefully it's fixed, as the baton-holding generation? I will say to my grandchildren in 20 years' time, there's never been a country that has had more potential, more going for it uh, than South Africa. I would say secondly to them that if you look over the course of a century, there were moments like the early 2020s when we actually thought the country was going down. And every time we dodged a bullet, think of the Anglo-Boer War, right? The South African War. Think of 1948. Think of the early 1990s. Think of the 2020s. And every time leadership rose to the surface and allowed us to 
to think about a country that has so much potential, so much incredible people, so much incipient leadership, and that allowed us every time to turn the corner. And I will tell them it is your own to take a long view of South Africa's past in order to have an optimistic view of South Africa's future. Professor Jonathan Janssen, thank you very much for joining us. My name's Jeremy Mag. Thanks for listening to this Fix Essay podcast. For more episodes posted every second Friday, go to moneyweb.co.za, the MoneyWeb app, Apple Podcasts and Spotify, or follow MoneyWeb News on social media for more updates. MoneyWeb, your trusted source for business and investment insights.